so I don't know why it's not working. Didn't work today for basic too, so. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover and we're just gonna go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, tonight, Lord. I thank you for your word that has um, so much information, Lord, for us to learn how things are supposed to be, Lord. Help us to just um, learn tonight of you, how you want things, the order that you want them, Lord, and that you would just um, soften our heart to hear your voice tonight, even in this, Lord, that you would speak to us, God, as we learn about qualifications and um, for leadership, Lord. So I just um, lift this time before you, and I pray that you would just remove anything that's of me and that you would um, just speak and flow through me, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in 1 Timothy 3. Qualifications of overseers. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is hard. Okay, so we're going to learn about God's qualifications for leaderships and serving in God's household. Um, even though it takes a um, more than just biological capacity alone to conceive a child in order to be a real parent, um, with a healthy mom and dad supposed to be and expected to do in the same manner because God is the perfect father overseeing raising his family of spiritual children God wants a healthy spiritual household God makes it clear that it takes more than just being saved to properly handle the role responsibility of being a leader amongst God's household even someone who who privileged to be serving within God's family the church our chapter is teaching that God is more careful and selective when he appoints and entrusts roles and responsibility of leading or serving in his church. Um, here in chapter 3, we're actually told a direct purpose for Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. Let's consider that first. Um, and that we're going to look at that first in verse 14 and 15. Then we'll go back and I'll cover the rest of the verses. So verses 14 and 15 says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is in the church, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Paul, knowing that life and ministry work does not always unfold as we plan. God allows detours and interruptions and hair, no, I'm sorry, in our journeys as part of his plan. Um, he decides to put into written form these truths to instruct them regarding a healthy church. So even if he, Paul was delayed from getting there to teach in person, they would still know such. He knew these truths were very important and they were essential to a healthy spiritual family. He wanted them to know how to conduct themselves in the house of God, which is the church. The local church is described like a spiritual family with God as our father over the whole household. Since God is the father, we are the children and it's his household that he established. God has the proper right to decide how things operate in his household. As God's children, God's children, we don't have the right to decide how things should operate. It's a very unhealthy and disrespectful thing when we try to make church what we want it to be. This is a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to instruct us how the local church is to operate and conduct ourselves. It gives us divine guidance on how we are to function amongst God's household and family. It provides clear direction, rules, boundaries as to what is appropriate and acceptable and what's not. Just like your own family um, among our own household, while we were raising our children, we had the same thing. Tony, as our rightful and authorized leader and father, established enforced boundaries. 
our children understood how they were to obediently conduct themselves and function within our household. They often will say, well, such and such family doesn't have these rules. And I go, well, you're not in their family. You're in our family. And these are our rules. Or we would hear, it's because dad's a pastor. We have to follow these rules. And Tony would always say, no, we're Christians first. This is why we have these rules and boundaries. It didn't matter how those outside of our home function, that was not our standard. They have their own standards, we had ours. We had a certain standards and rules for our own household and family and how we operated. Each time someone was added to the family, the same standards remained and applied. It was not the children's right to decide how things wanted to operate, how they wanted things to operate, although they liked to at different times. They were to respectfully honor and obey what their father had decided. His fatherly love, wisdom, and overseeing our house family knew what he wanted best. He wanted our best. Same idea in God's house. He, in perfect love and wisdom, wants a healthy spiritual family. God, knowing what's best for in the entire household, instructs how church is to operate, giving us his standards, boundaries, and instructions to be respectfully followed to ensure a healthy church family. He also calls the church the pillar and ground of truth. The ground here describes a firm level foundation to build upon, describes how the local church is to be the foundation of what truth is for society. With the word of God, we are to supply to the world the basis of what is true for morality, marriage, family, spiritual, and eternal matters. The world should be looking to us to determine and guide them regarding what's truth. Pillars uphold things. They function to support what has been established to prevent the building from collapsing, bringing harmful ruin. As the church, we have a responsibility to uphold truth in society and to stand for truth. We must do this to try to prevent everything from collapsing morally. This is why God's household must be a healthy family and not dysfunctional. With that understanding, let's look at the specific instruction from God for his house about who should provide leadership and who should be privileged to serve God's people. Okay, so we're going to go back to verse 1 and six, one through 6. It gives us the qualifications or criteria to be used for church leadership. I mean, God just, he just writes it out for us, which is wonderful. So this is a faithful saying, verse 1 says, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So what is a bishop? The man who has the position or responsibility of serving God's household as a spiritual overseer, an elder, or pastor within the church. This role requires the work of providing oversight to the spiritual health of God's family. These are spiritually authorized leaders God appoints to be responsible for spiritual health, to help the church family's development in the things of God, to serve the church through providing a shepherding function to God's flock. This involves ongoing spiritual care, and I never hit this, um, direction, adequate feeding, protecting, and even correction if needed. They are to keep the church family healthy in its conduct and beliefs. They are to be male Christians who are spiritually mature, who can properly do work to govern and guide the spiritual matters of the local church. What they do is a good work by working to take good care of God's family, keeping it healthy, keeping us healthy. If a man desires to operate in this position of leadership over God's flock, the responsibility right to this role is not given casually. It is a very serious role. It even says in the word that they will be judged differently too, which just makes me shake in my boots. Because um, that's, you know, you're going to stand for what you, what they're being taught or what they've done. And um, some pastors, I'm like, okay, Lord, when is that coming? <laughs> you know, but it's, it's hard, you know, when you see them doing things and treating people so unkindly and 
still being blessed. That's, it's, that's really difficult. But God knows he, he is our, um, he is the judge and he'll judge when, judge when it's appropriate time. Note first part of verse two, a bishop, overseer, elder, or pastor must be. It's not like, okay, maybe you should do this. It says must be. The language conveys these, these are not suggestions, but required criteria to be evident. These are divine qualifications given by a wise, loving father for his household. Those who desire to serve in the position of church leadership must be spiritually mature men who meet certain standards. What are these standards? God has qualifications for allowing certain select men to have the right to lead in church. He's going to give here a list of things that must be characterized in that man's life. First, for the man to be considered for leadership and permitted a position to leadership, these are the things God says must be evident in the man's life to become a leader, to be ready for the role, responsibility to lead. Second, to remain a leader, to continue serving in that capacity as a church leader. In order for someone to be allowed to continue as leader, some standards must be upheld. It's not like once they can get that position, they can slack off and start doing things array. No, they need to uphold these qualifications. They need to keep living them out or else they should resign or be removed from leadership. A healthy church does not allow a man who's deviated morally, spiritually to keep leading the flock. Verse two, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. Here's a God's criteria that should be evident in a spiritually mature man who would become a leader or remain a leader. These things should be part of his life. He should be blameless. Not meaning sinless, that's of course impossible um, for any human. Idea is guiltless, someone who has a life of integrity, not guilty of personal sin, error in his way of life, not living, like continuing to live in a sinful way in his personal life. Can't, can't, can't be credibly blamed for some wrong conduct or sinful be behavior like currently doing, not consciously doing wrong things in their lifestyle, treatment of people and excusing it, not someone who's done wrong, simple things, trying to dismiss it or hide it without dealing with it appropriately. Husband of one wife. He is a male with a proper marriage relationship to one woman. He is a good husband with a solid marriage, not a dysfunctional married life. He's committed to his marriage, already succeeding, succeeding in that primary ministry to his wife. Loving, leading her, she is following him, submitting to his lead, and, and respects him. Temperament. Self-controlled, stable, disciplined in nature, someone who rules their own life well in an orderly way. Sober-minded, someone who's serious, clear thinking, making a good conscience, making a good decision. Unlike a person who might act foolishly or irresponsibly, like a drunk person. The sober-minded person is wise, thoughtful, responsible, and has good judgment. They are a good steward, take life seriously with mature outlook and handling things. A spiritual leader can't be a man who wants to always play around and act like a little boy. The church, family, and ministry is a serious matter. It requires focus, right decisions. A spiritual leader must display strong maturity in their way of life and how they operate. Good behavior. He lives his life well as a Christian, conducts himself in an honorable way, not known to behave poorly or foolishly where they do embarrassing and dumb things. Hospitable, not just the social butterfly who likes entertaining guests and dinner parties, term means showing love and care for strangers or unknown people, someone who is willing to take the time with anyone. Able to teach, clear spiritual enablement to instruct, give sound guidance, have a capacity from the Lord to help people see the truth versus error and to educate. They are able to help people to learn and increase in their understanding of God's way, not their way. 
Paul, having said what should be found as healthy marks of a man's life, now says these things should not be done, areas of guilt within this man's life. As we go on, verse 3, not given to wine, not violent, nor greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not covetous. A leader should be someone willing to forgo the liberty to drink alcohol due to the greater responsibility they have and the example they are responsible for. Not violent, not a person who's hurtful and abusive, and how they treat people. Not greedy for money, leaders can't be people using God's flock to get financial profit. Leaders should be people who can be content, must be gentle, can deal with people in a kind, tender way, gently directing with humility, not a forceful bully, not a demanding person like a dictator. Jesus displayed and taught servant leadership. Not quarrelsome, not a person who likes to, likes to controverse, to debate and argue with people, not a contentious person, tend to always start issues. Rather, a leader should be a problem solver with people and situations. Not covetous, not always jealousy, longing for better things, lacking contentment. As we go on, verse 4 and 5, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? The man should be providing, proving his leadership ability within his own home life. That should be first and foremost. If the home's not right, how can he do ministry at church? That's your, always your first ministry, ministry is your home. He should be a man who's already ruling well in his own family and has a healthy household. He is successfully directing his own family, evident by those under his leadership at home. He is well-respected at home and has a stable family life. This is an important proving ground. God says, says it's essential to start and continue. And the reason for, if a man's family not, life is not being ruled well, indicates he needs to grow more. His focus needs to be upon leading at home first and foremost. Paul says that leading in the church must is much like parenting children. Same dynamics, just a much bigger family. Why healthy family leadership is the foundation to prepare and handle church leadership. If a man can't properly take care of and lead his own family in a healthy, functional way, he should not be burdened or entrusted to lead within God's household. Again, verse 5. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? It would be hard to listen to take him for his word if his home life's a mess. God says the reality of this dynamic should be clear. Don't compromise on it. When this is ignored, problems always arise in time. Another thing that must be paid attention to, prematurely giving person a leadership role when their character has not yet developed. Verse 6, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Paul warns that if someone is a new believer, a newer believer, who has not had adequate time to mature, they should not be in a leadership position yet. Reason is they lack the spiritual growth and maturity, and they, that may cause them to become proud. They may become puffed up with pride, become corrupt, and fall like Satan did. Pride is the mother of all sins. It's a very deadly cancer in a life and worse in a leader. Humility is an essential foundation for healthy leadership to handle the authority role. If an immature believer without depth of character is a leader prematurely, that is a prescription for the plague of pride, defiling their attitude. This can turn a good man into a really bad man, becomes unhealthy, becomes an unhealthy man with authority. 
that corrupted leader, just like the devil, can harm and defile many things. Verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. God also requires that a leader have a good reputation among the outside world. God encourages to look for men who are respected generally, even among the unsaved people, men. Kind of guy, people say, he is just really a good man. I have a lot of respect for him. God doesn't want men to dishonor his church in the eyes of the unsaved world. Notice really one ability, capability, mention, able to teach. All rest is on the man's character. That's apparently what matters most to God. It's a big mistake in church leadership to focus foremost on charisma, talent, and education. This has led to many church leaders who are like celebrities, and that's just not healthy. God's focus in on one man's character, that's God's way of appointing and keeping leaders. God, by his spirit, can empower, enable, bless the pure-hearted laborers of, godly, of a godly man. In verses 8 through 13, Paul describes some qualifications and criteria for deacons in the church. Likewise, in the same way, also the deacons, phrase meaning a table waiter, someone who serves and waits on table. That's what deacon means. Acts 6, see such servants being appointed in early church to faithfully attend to the operation of the food distribution ministry of the widows. Often deacons are those who handle more practical, physical things of the church operations. In a sense, that is true. They are workers who focus on practical matters in God's house. Yet there is much work to be done in church life, church life by many servants. All ministry work, whether teaching God's word, counseling, or any form of ministry in all spiritual, all matters, as we work together for his kingdom. Deacon describes a servant of God generally working within the local church. Those instructed with roles, responsibilities of doing all the, main, all the many ministry works of church to keep the household of God functioning well. Under this umbrella falls the many different forms of ministry work done in the church. This speaks of those who are serving for, in the ministry work as the church operates. Notice God still encourages here that, that we be somewhat selective in whom we allow, entrust, and appoint to serve in the church because they are doing kingdom work and attending to God's precious flock. In verse 8, it says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-minded, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, and not greedy for money. Like spiritual leaders, all church servants should be those who are solid believers, those who display commitment to Christ, and living godly lives with character. So what does reverent mean? They have a healthy, strong respect for God and spiritual matters. They are reverent towards carefully honoring the Holy Spirit, and they want to see God glorified, not man. They are not double-tongued, not, pe not people with a mouth problem, people who have to struggle with the devil using their mouth to cause issues, to start drama, because they have a routine tendency to talk in ways they shouldn't, not critical and judgmental people who are prone to complain and say harmful things. Also, people who can use moderation restraint in their lifestyle with alcohol and money. If someone needs to drink or becomes overly materialistic, they offer, often hinder themselves from being a useful servant in the Lord's work. In verse 9, it says, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. Church servants should know well the fundamentals of the Christian faith, must be sound in their doctrine and beliefs, have deep respect for scripture, 
They should have a clean life morally and a pure heart within, without corrupt motivations. And verse 10, but let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Paul says that it's wise to take some time, not to rush and make these decisions, to get to know people, see how they handle things in their life during tests and challenges, to let them reveal their character, because your character really comes out when you're walking through a trial or a challenge, before we install them as workers in the church. God says, let them be tested. To test is to evaluate, check, then let them serve. There is wisdom in waiting before we allow people to serve in God's important work. Verse 11. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. This verse can be interpreted two different ways. Describing how it's wise that when a man serves in the church that his wife should be evaluated and considered in the decision as well. You might have an amazing husband, but you might have a crazy wife. So you gotta look at both. Because as a married couple, she'll have the power, remember this ladies, um, she'll have the power to influence over the man personally. Very wise to not just consider for the man for church work, but also his wife there also. This will matter, this will really matter. We gotta remember that we as wives have the power to influence and should we really take that to the Lord, God, I don't wanna influence him to make the wrong decision or the, I, I wanna encourage him to make the right decision, so give me wisdom. Give me wisdom when I should speak up and when I should just be silent and wait on you. Um, because we have, you know, they, they're our husbands and that's something the Lord's given us, power of influence. So really be in prayer when you're, um, sometimes I feel like the Lord's telling me something and I'll sit on it for weeks and weeks because I'm scared to death to go to him about it. And I just really want the, and actually I'll just start praying, okay, Lord, if this is really of you, just start working it in his life. And, and, and if not, if the Lord keeps improper me to share with him, then I'll, you know, in love, not in anger and in you know, my flesh, you know, I try and like talk with him and say, hey, you know, what, what do you think about this? Um, so just we have that power and, and God forbid if we are having that power and we're leading them and steering them in the wrong direction and they're the leaders in our home. Um, we, want to, we want to be their cheerleaders. We want to cheer them on. If they're making a decision, um, I remember I really struggled when the girls were teenagers. I wanted a number for when they could date because they would talk to me all the time because I was with them all the time. And um, I would go to him and I'm like, so, you know, like, what do we think about, like, you know, 16? Is like 16 a good number for dating? He's like, gave me, you know, um, he's never short for words. He gave me a long reason as to why 16 wasn't. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like such wisdom. Like he's like, each girl is maturing at a different rate. I'm not gonna say 16 and then 16 is just for all three. Like I'm gonna see how they mature and when they're ready to actually start going on dates. I said, and I just was like, oh my gosh, here I am just thinking, no, we're gonna give a number and that's good. You know, they, they really, you know, pray for them. They, they really need wisdom because they're leading our homes and they're gonna have to answer for that someday. So um, I just wanna um, caution you to be careful and be slow. I think women, we can, um, emotions can get away and we can rush into things and we just are very high on our emotions and can be upset and I think we need to really go before the Lord before we go to them or you know we often want to go to our girlfriends go to everyone else but Jesus and I think we need to be reminded go sit before the Lord pray seek him give it some time uh, he may change your heart on the matter um, so just an encouragement there
This could just be further instruction given specifically for all female workers serving in the various ministries of the church. Again, not as leaders, pastors, God's clear that the role is reserved exclusively for males, but women are called to be faithful workers and serving in the church in all their ways. I mean, you see that in our children's ministry. It's all the women, you know, and there is a few men, but uh, we do have, you know, we just do have a lot of women who serve, which is a wonderful thing. God says these women should be reverent, God-fearing, respectful of spiritual matters, taking church life and God's work seriously not slanderers. Women tend to have a major weakness in using our mouths wrongly. Boy, our mouths sure do get us in trouble, don't they? Can't be using our mouths to say hurtful, wrong things to people, causing harm, ruin, and problems. Those who have a struggle here can be a dangerous if allowed to serve in the church. They need to be temperate, self-controlled, able to use restraint in managing conduct emotions. She should be a stable and a balanced woman walking in the spirit. Faithful in all things, and I think this is really becoming a struggle um, in today's uh, Christian uh, life for women. She is to be a trustworthy woman, reliable and dependable, faithful. People who follow through with things, they make sure they get things done. Being faithful is critical. Our pastor and many others are relying upon us to do it. Faithful in all things. Think of some areas we should be more faithful as women. Fill in the blank. Verse 12. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. We already touched upon that with the instruction of church leaders, but again, God wants people with solid marriage, marriages and healthy families as his servants. If a person is struggling in their marriage or their family life is unhealthy, the wisdom is to not serve the church, but focus on ministry at home first. We said that earlier. That is that is super important because your other families are looking to that leader's family. Well, how do they handle this? Well, how, what are they doing? And sometimes they might be looking and saying, oh, my, they're not doing a real good job raising their kids. They're kind of crazy and wild or they're out of control. There's no um, submission there or respect. They're not obedient. You know, so they're looking. It's just, it's just the way it is. Seems to be drawing attention to how noble it is to be a good and faithful servant who has served well. How this gives us a favorable standing before God, before both God and the rest of his family. Ladies, if and when we have the privilege to serve, doing the work for our king, let it be that we are those who serve well in our role, preparing for greater works. All right, so we already addressed 14 and 15 at the start, so we're not going to recover, recover and go over them again. We just remember in those verses we see the church is God's sacred household, so it's just like a home and that we are the pillar and ground for, of truth for the lost, decaying world. Why? It's vital that we operate in the right way so the church remains healthy and strong. Maybe that's a reason Paul concludes with the declaration of a sound doctrine in the last verse. For doctrine, truth, doctrinal, doctrinal, I don't say like that word, truth is a cornerstone of God's house, what the church is built upon. Who is the chief cornerstone of this church and any church? It's Jesus. First Peter 2, Peter writing about Jesus, describes him as the chosen and chief cornerstone that the whole church is built upon. Praise God, he is our chief. Thinking about God's household and Jesus as the cornerstone, perhaps this is why the Holy Spirit prompts Paul to mention Jesus as he does here in verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 
God was manifested in the flesh. That speaks of how God in the person of Jesus took a human nature, took on human nature, became a man. He lived amongst us, showed us what God was fully like so we can know God better. Then Jesus provided salvation for humanity that he established the church family. Justified in the spirit, the spirit works in Jesus, proved he was God among us. Seen by angels, angelic beings watching in amazement as he humbled himself for us. They must have been like, wow, you like, you really love them. Like there must be like, uh, you know, how he, they must have just been amazed that he would do that for, for, our, for love for us, you know, mind blowing. Preached among the Gentiles, the heathen, proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ is the primary message of a healthy church. We should be pointing people to the Lord, not talking about other things. Believed on in the world, Jesus came so mankind would believe upon and receive him. Received up in glory, he victoriously rose from death, then ascended back to heaven's throne, purpose, so he can powerfully save us when we call upon him. Finally, Jesus will one day return in all his glory. So the main point, God wants his church to remain centered upon the Lord Jesus. Jesus is supposed to be the supreme leader of the church, guiding the church. First Peter, Jesus is the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. A healthy church is a family of believers loving Jesus and listening to the Lord's leading. Ladies, I love our church family. I really do. I would rather have our church family than any other church family because I look at you guys and I say, we're so healthy. You know what I mean? We're in the word. We're rooted. We're deep. I don't care if we're 500 or 100. I'd rather it be us and be um, what I saw on the women's retreat was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful to see uh, women having fun and just loving one another and just having a good time and just wanting to go deeper with the Lord. Um, so it's beautiful. Um, I'd, I'd much rather have what we have than, than other things. Jesus is the greatest servant in his church. He has changed us, and he's still helping us to change, right? We, none of us have arrived. We're always growing. We're always changing. Um, this chapter reminds us the church is God's family, God's household, not ours. It's not Tony and Trisha's. No, 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 no. God knows how to operate a family the best way. Let us submit to and respect his beautiful design that it shows us in his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that you are in charge and that we're not, Lord, and that we look to you, uh, to your word that gives us guidance and direction and wisdom. And we just thank you. We thank you that you put it in here, Lord, so we can grow, so we can understand, so we can know how to function um, appropriately, Lord. So I just pray that you bless our table time as we talk about the homework and that you would help us to grow, Lord. Um, give us hearts that want to grow. And we just thank you in your precious name. Amen.